0: All right. Uh, please stand and turn with me to John chapter 13. Our sermon text tonight will be Psalm 55. It has to do with the, uh, David being betrayed by a close friend. Of course, we'll have the opportunity to reflect about to reflect on Jesus being betrayed by one of those closest to him, um, which is one of the themes of John 13. All right, as so we prepare to read God's word, let's let's pray once again and ask for his blessing. Our Father in heaven, help us now to understand your word. Uh, please give your servant uh, ability to be able to proclaim it clearly. Work through our weakness, both in preaching and listening, um, to do through your Spirit's power what you intend in this congregation tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John 13. Now... But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some, some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Amen. Now, Psalm 55. To the choirmaster with stringed instruments, a maskill of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me. And in anger, they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove! I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, I would hurry to find a shelter. From the weight-raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Amen. You may be seated. I was the younger of two kids. My older sister was four years older than me. <clears throat> and so uh, as I was growing up, I would get some, um, you call it second-hand knowledge as, as she uh, you know, went through school and, and, and things. And uh, she would learn things. And I would, I would learn them second-hand. And I wouldn't quite, quite understand them completely, but I was getting introduced to some of the stuff she was learning. And uh, we, would have, we had this little thing that we would do when we were feeling silly It was reenacting the death of Julius Caesar. That probably tells you something about my childhood, but anyway, this is just something we would do. Um, I didn't really know who Julius Caesar was, Uh, I didn't really know who Brutus was, but I thought it was fun to go around saying, et tu, Brute, and then keeling over dead. And um, yeah, again, well, we can evaluate my childhood later. Uh, we, we loved this anyway. As I got older, of course, I learned about the whole history there of Julius Caesar, both the, the actual history of his life and then um, the maybe more literary kind of idealized version in the Shakespeare play that that phrase comes from. And you too, Brutus, is what that Latin phrase means. And I came to understand why that moment has come to symbolize in Western culture that idea of personal betrayal, Caesar and Brutus being these close friends that were allied at one time, and then Brutus turning on Caesar and helping to uh, with his, depending on no, uh, which side you're on in that story, murder or execution in the Roman Senate anyway. That loyal friendship being undermined and then violently torn apart. But of course, Caesar and Brutus are not the first example of this in history. I guess you'd have to say it goes all the way back at least to Cain and Abel. If not all the way back really to Adam. Adam's treachery against the Lord in the Garden of Eden. Betrayal of all that God had done for him. Um, At any rate, that theme of betrayal is one that comes to particular expression, repeated expression in the life and in the prayers of King David. Especially in the Psalms. Just think about all of the people in David's life who he should have been able to trust them. People who were close to him. His king, Saul. His friends. His own sons. Um, And yet... Time after time, people turned on him, attacked him, betrayed him, even the people closest to him. And Psalm 55 is a place where that particular aspect of David's sufferings comes very clearly into focus. So I'm going to look at this psalm in three parts tonight. First is going to be an urgent longing for a way out, verses 1 through 11. Second is going to be the particular pain. Of personal betrayal, verses twelve to twenty-one, and then third, what to do when you feel trapped and betrayed. Okay, so an urgent longing for a way out, the particular pain of personal betrayal, and what to do when you feel trapped and betrayed. All right, so uh, first, that urgent longing for a way out. Um, I as as I put it just that way, I, I had in mind um, the recent adult Sunday school class we did where we went through Daniel Strange's book um, on the five magnetic points, um, those five longings that all human beings share, and the way that Christianity and the gospel, Christ, both af- affirm those longings and kind of subvert them as they're distorted by our sin, and then fulfill them in a more complete way, Those those longings, those desires. And one of the five you may remember, it was labeled deliverance, a way out. That everybody is looking for a way out. And that comes to expression in a lot of different parts of our lives. And as this psalm begins, it seems like David is, is feeling almost claustrophobic um, in his sufferings. He's surrounded, he is hemmed in by the evil and the hostility of his enemies. He says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint. And I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. He talks about how they drop trouble upon me. It's like they dislodge it from above. And it falls down on him. And in anger, they bear a grudge against me. You can see this... Um, This inward angst in David's heart that is coming out in response to this outward assault that is pressing in upon him. It's like he's being buried by this pressure from these people who are trying to harm him. And it's not just the danger to life and limb that's the problem. It is the the anguish that this produces inwardly. It's that, that fear. It's the horror of having so many people against him and feeling like nobody is reliably on his side. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me. And horror overwhelms me. David's not just in danger. It's that he feels trapped. He feels stuck. He feels cornered. He feels surrounded. He feels like there is no way out. That. It's one of the most awful feelings. And so you can see in verse 6 where his imagination goes. If only, he thinks, if only I just had wings like a dove. And I could just fly away and be at rest. I, I don't even know exactly where I'd go. I just know it would be far, far away from here. Lodge somewhere in the wilderness. Find some shelter Or I could just go there and I could just ride out the storm. I could wait for all the raging wind, the tempest to go by and I'd be safe there. He's looking for a way out. Uh, But in the middle of this experience, he can't see that way out. And so, what does he do? See, even as the Psalms give expression to, they, they, they validate in a sense these kinds of experiences that we have. They also direct us, and show us what to do in the middle of that experience as David turns to God, cries out to God. He calls on God to act for him. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. He talks about day and night, they go around it on its walls, iniquity and trouble are within it, Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. He's bringing this to God and he's picturing here how the problem is all around the city, on the outside, marching around the walls. And then it's also all throughout this place he's describing. No matter where he looks, whether he looks out at the walls, whether he looks in at the marketplace, it's all the same. The evil is everywhere. It is extensive and it's intensive. It's just everywhere. It's surrounding him on all sides, contributing to that feeling of being hemmed in and trapped, Right? And so David knows the only one who's going to be able to do something about this is the Lord. It's interesting when he says divide their tongues, it makes you think back to the, the Tower of Babel. Um, so was another time when it seemed like everybody was united in this single, wicked, arrogant, rebellious purpose to build that tower up to heaven, right? And how, you remember how God broke in and um, acted to put a stop to that. What did he do? He divided their tongues. He broke up their ability to act with that togetherness in their sin. Um, And that's what David is asking God to do here against his enemies. Um, I wonder if there have been times in your life where you have felt trapped, where you felt hemmed in, where you felt stuck, and you felt like, if only. I could just fly away and be somewhere else far away from here. Anywhere. It it doesn't matter, just as long as it's not. I just have to get out of where I am. And there can be a lot of reasons for that feeling. Um, Sometimes we are trapped by the evil of other people. Um, Sometimes, honestly, we've built a trap for ourselves through our own choices, through our own sin. Um, And sometimes it is legitimate and righteous For us to feel that way. Um, Sometimes that desire to escape and get away is maybe not the best impulse. Maybe it's not the right instinct. Um, But either way, his psalm is helping us understand from the Lord's point of view. He understands that feeling is real. That feeling of being stifled, of being smothered. I, I can't breathe almost because the evil and the darkness and the weight of life is so heavy. And so, again, the psalm acknowledges that experience, says, yes, God's people do experience life that way. And here is a godly way that you can put that into words back to the Lord. Here's a way you can bring that experience to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm longing for a way out. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the... Sorry, that though the wrong seems oft so strong. God is the ruler yet. He's the one I'm going to turn to when I am here wishing that I could just fly far away, wherever that here might be for you. Now, that does not guarantee that God is going to fulfill that wish that you're going to get to just fly away. Uh, It might not be the outcome that you just get to escape. But what you are guaranteed is that the Lord is going to hear you. And that that very act of crying out to him, that very act of expressing that longing to him is is actually part of his plan to meet you in that place, to give you the comfort and help that you need in it. And yes, perhaps now and certainly in the end, the way out of it as well. We should dig a little deeper here, though, and find out why, in David's particular case, why David is feeling so extraordinarily trapped and oppressed at this particular moment. And in verse 12, we start to find out the particular reason why. He says, it is not an enemy who taunts me. Well, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me; insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Uh, you think about David's life. I mean, danger was, uh, D- David was uh, no stranger to being chased and people trying to kill him and having to get away and hide from people. And that was kind of par for the course for much of David's life. Um, but, but this is different. This is, this is very different what's going on right now for him. Um, this psalm doesn't, in the heading, it doesn't give you the specific historical context as some of the, uh, a couple of the ones we've looked at recently have done. Um, there is one particular moment that maybe fits especially well in David's life and um, many people might think of, 2 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, it's during Absalom's rebellion. So Absalom, David's son, has rebelled. He, he's tried to seize the throne from his father. And he builds this conspiracy of the people from David's court that now he, he convinces to follow him instead. And one particular uh, person that 2 Samuel 15 mentions is David's counselor uh, named Ahithophel. And Ahithophel goes, follows Absalom instead of David. Verse 31 of that chapter says, And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, Oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. He was a very wise man who was, going to give it, who was going to give Absalom great advice about how to uh, come out victorious in this conflict. And so maybe that might give us another insight into what David has in mind in verse 9 of this psalm when he says, divide their tongues, as, as David is praying that the Lord would defeat Ahithophel's um, uh, uh, clever advice um, to Absalom. No doubt Ahithophel was one of many people who had been more or less close to David um, in his administration. But you'd have to think that a royal counselor, you know, David's counselor, that would have been a particularly trusted person with a particularly close relationship to the king, right? And now he has gone over to the other side of all people. And you can see the way David describes this here in the poetry. We used to take sweet counsel together, he said. And like just another twist of the knife, is that we worshipped together. We would we would go to church together, and that's how we we, we would say it. But that's the way we would say. It. Of course, they would, they would worship together. Though we 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 uh, within God's house, we walked in the throng. They would go to the temple together to worship God. And now you've done this to me. You can see that depth of the pain and and the sense of injustice in verse fifteen, as David. Let's loose this very imprecatory prayer in response. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. Why? It's because of the evil that's so intense in this person's heart. Evil is their dwelling place and in their heart. He's recognizing, and this is important, he's recognizing this is not merely a personal offense against me. It's not just that I'm hurt by this. This is a sin against God, this level of betrayal. And because it involves the Lord and not just me, that is another reason among many, that I can trust him, that I can trust his justice, his judgment, to make things right, even though I might be powerless myself to do anything about it. That's a good reminder that when people sin against you, you have to remember they're also sinning against the Lord. And so the Lord takes this seriously, um, not only because of his compassion on you, but because of the offense against his own glory, his own law. Um, And that, that is another way for you to To meditate and build your confidence, your willingness to leave it in the Lord's hands instead of trying to take matters into your own hands or be consumed by your own personal sense of bitterness. Now, it is that trust, it is that turning to God, it is that resting in his care that you continue to see in verse uh, 16. So that's the choice they've made. These people have chosen this pathway of treachery and rebellion, uh, not just against me, but against the Lord. But I, what am I going to do? I'm going to take a different path. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. And he hears my voice. I want you to notice there that there is a a godly, righteous, faith-filled kind of complaining complaint. There is also, we should remember, there's also an ungodly, unrighteous, unbelieving kind of complaining against the Lord. That's quite different. So you think about, for example, Israel in the wilderness, when they're grumbling, when they're complaining against the Lord, when they don't have enough food, when they don't have enough water, um, and they, they don't believe in that moment that God is really going to care for them. They're, they're beginning to believe that God is not really good, that God is not... Uh, going to keep his promises that God has wronged them by bringing them out here into the wilderness and so they're angry at him and they, they complain and grumble that is an example of that sinful faithless kind of complaining against God but here David is complaining and moaning and yet it's and yet it's righteous it's appropriate to the situation and nobody likes to hear people complaining and moaning right well except wait a second. We don't like to hear people complaining and moaning about things that don't really matter. We don't like people making mountains out of molehills. We don't like people making a big deal about nothing. Or we don't like people just trying to draw attention to themselves and their suffering. We don't like people just wanting to to, to crave people's sympathy. When people get things out of perspective, that's what we kind of react against. But when somebody is really suffering, think about a child who's who's in pain because they've been injured in some way. Well, in that, in that sense, it's normal. It's a good thing for them to cry, for them to weep. It would be wrong for my, 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 my kid falls down, and they're, they're bleeding, they're seriously, they've really, they, it really hurts for me to say, I'll oh, just quit moaning and complaining. I don't want to hear that. That would be wrong for me to respond that way to my child. See, that's when moaning and complaining of, of this good sort that I'm talking about is the right thing, because they're in pain, because they need help. And they, they need the comfort and the help of the kinds that their dad or their mom can give them in that moment, right? And that's what they're supposed to get from us. See, that's the kind of complaining and moaning that David is doing here. As he utters it persistently, regularly. And one of the great comforts of this psalm for us is the reminder that God never gets tired of hearing that from you. Um, you know, Even the right kind of... We, we might even get annoyed at somebody who's legitimately... Um, crying, weeping, and we just don't want to hear it anymore. We don't have time for that. That's, That's the way we sinful, limited people are. But the Lord is not sinful and limited like we are. He has this infinite capacity to listen to the cry of our heart in pain. And that's what David says here. He hears my voice. He hears my voice every time. What else does God do? He doesn't just hear my voice. It's not just that God is there to listen. It's not just that God is a really good listener. Although he is that, he's the best, but he's not just a really good listener. It's nice to have a friend who's a really good listener, but sometimes that has its limits in terms of how much that can really help you. But the Lord doesn't just hear my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. God will give ear and he will go and humble them because why he is enthroned from of old. Don't you love that? David is appealing here to the eternal throne of God. It's like he's he's zooming all the way out and taking in the biggest picture there is of eternity and the universe and beyond. He's, he's been talking about this particular conflict and these people harassing and harming him and his particular life circumstances, but it's like the camera's just zooming way, way out. It's taking in this eternal reign of God that's so much bigger than David, so much bigger than his circumstances, so much bigger, certainly, than his enemies. See, they have no idea the grandness and the immensity of this power that is arrayed, that is ready to come to David's defense. It's not in their minds. If it was maybe they wouldn't be acting this way but david doesn't have to david really he doesn't have to worry about a thing that's what he's reminding himself because he knows that the king of the universe whose kingship has no beginning and no end and no limits that that king of the universe hears him and is going to hold his enemies accountable they don't get that of course they don't fear god says they should it's foolish and ignorant that they don't that they don't take into account that everlasting reign of the lord who has anointed David as his king. But um, these people aren't changing, he says, after the little Selah break there. hes saying, they're not changing. They don't fear God. Rather, he goes back in verses 20 to 21 to describe in even greater detail just how profoundly this friend, who's betrayed David, has shown the opposite kind of character. My companion stretched out his hand against his friend's. He violated his covenant, and, and that's helpful for him to put this in a covenantal context here. We talk about covenant a lot, um, that relationship of that of love combined with loyalty and the accountability of, of, a, of, of a structure that involves um, real standards and accountability. Um, you know how much I've talked about the word chesed over the last few months in Ruth and other places and in Psalms um, that, that covenantal loyalty and love often translated steadfast love um, which is one of the great ways of describing the Lord if you think about what that means what you're seeing here is that this person, this friend has acted in the opposite way everything that chesed means this man has done the opposite and you're great on the outside his speech was smooth as butter. His words were softer than oil. He could talk a good talk, but something totally different was in his heart. There was war there. And those words that seemed so soft were actually drawn swords. Well, I'm, I'm certain that in a group this size, probably many of you, more, more than haven't, probably many of you have gotten at least a taste of what it is like to be betrayed Not just to have somebody sin against you, but for someone that you thought you could trust, to take advantage of that trust in such a destructive and painful way that you can still taste the bitterness of it. You can still feel those pangs of hurt and loss, maybe even anger. How could that person do such a thing? And once again, this psalm says to you, yes, the Lord knows He has in fact put this whole prayer of his in his written word, this this heart cry giving voice to that very pain in your heart, that betrayal, that sense of treachery, that sense that it never should have happened. And he knows that it is more than your soul can bear. In fact, even then we've only scratched the surface of how the Lord has shown his understanding and his care in this aspect of your life. See, there's so much more to this idea when you consider the way Christ himself actually entered into that kind of experience in his life and his sufferings and death. See, what what David felt when Ahithophel went over to Absalom's side of the rebellion, you know, the Lord Jesus Felt that, that same heartrending pang of betrayal when Judas Iscariot went over to the temple and collected his payout of the 30 pieces of silver when he came to the Garden of Gethsemane and he betrayed his friend with a kiss. It's not just that God knows what you're feeling, well, because He's, he's God, He's all knowing. Of course, He knows what I'm feeling, it's more than that. It's that Christ has actually felt that feeling in the deepest and most painful of ways. It was part, in fact, of his redemptive suffering for sin. It was part of that that total alienation and rejection that Jesus had to go through as a sacrifice for sinners. And... And it is also part of what fits the Lord Jesus to be such a gentle and understanding and compassionate and loving shepherd and priest and friend for his people. Perfectly loyal one. Someone when maybe you feel you can't trust anybody else. Someone who you know will never betray you. Someone you know will never leave you. Someone you know will never forsake you. That's who Jesus is. And that's why, then, you can hear and you can live out verse 22 of this psalm in a way even more profound and rich and wonderful than even David himself could as he prayed this for the first time in the first place. See, it's in Christ that we hear this wonderful exhortation and this promise, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. It's, it's the opposite, of course, for the enemies on the other side. They're, they're going to be cast down into the pit of destruction. That's the way the psalm ends. Um, Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. It's this reversal, right? It's showing at, at this moment, um, it seems like the enemies are winning. But David is seeing with the eyes of faith something that is yet unseen. He is seeing with the eyes of faith the end of the story. He's seeing the rest of the story. And because he is looking with the eyes of faith, he is also able to trust and rest with the confidence of faith. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. It's interesting, the word burden there is it's kind of a loose translation. Uh, the Hebrew word simply means your lot or what is given to you, whatever is given to you. Whatever your lot in life is, cast it on the Lord. And it's good for us to remember, put just that way, that even our suffering is, in a very real sense, God's word says, a gift. It is a stewardship not to be squandered. Remember what Philippians 1.29 says, it has been granted to you. Says, granted to you. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you to suffer. It's what Richard Gaffin has called the givenness of suffering. And if if pain, if, if betrayal, loss, deep sorrow, if those are the kinds of things that God has given to you at this point in your life, What this psalm is doing is it's teaching you what to do with it. When you feel trapped, when you feel betrayed, what are you to do? You're to cast your burden on the Lord. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's humbling ourselves before God. Not not bristling and saying, God, this is so unfair. How could you do this to me? That, or that sort of thing. It's, it's going to him with that righteous kind of complaint, saying, God, this is so hard. And I know that you know that. So please take this burden. It's too much for me to care, carry. And sustain me. Hold me up. Care for me. Um, I feel it's important to clarify something here just as a side note. When I say what to do when you feel trapped and betrayed, and I say, you know, the Psalm is telling us what to do, just cast your burden on the Lord. Um, please nobody take that to mean that you should not also be pursuing the means that God has given to protect you, to um, help you in practical ways, and to bring justice into your life when there's perhaps been a grave injustice. Um, the Lord has you know, given us civil authorities, parents, church authority, all kinds of structures to help us to deliver so that we don't have to feel stuck, so that we don't have to uh, just live with betrayal and and these kinds of things. When things are working properly, this should not be the place that any Christian is is stuck, and we ought to pursue those avenues that God has given us to, to bring justice to those who may um, be oppressing or trapping or betraying us. And that's true. But just sticking with the text here... Uh, David is showing, just the Holy Spirit is showing to us what to do with these experiences um, uh, when those human means have failed us in various ways as they sometimes do. Or in the meantime, until those wheels of justice are able to act on our behalf and ultimately the Lord's justice to cast that burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You may have been taught before by somebody um, God will never give you more than you can handle. I want to say this gently, but that is false. It's not, it's not biblical. A lot of people believe that. A lot of people have told me that. Um, it's, it's based on a verse in 1 Corinthians 10.13, Corinthians but it's a misreading and application of that verse. The verse is teaching there that God will never let you be tempted in such a way that the temptation is so strong you can't resist it that God will always provide a way of escape out of temptation so he's never forcing you to sin. And that's true. But listen, the whole Christian life is about God giving us more than we can handle, more than we can handle, but then teaching us to cast that burden upon him and to trust that he is going to sustain us. He's never going to permit us to be moved so that he handles what we cannot so that he helps us in our weakness, so that his power can be made known in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bring you our burdens now, casting them on you, trusting you to sustain us, that you will never Permit us to be moved in that ultimate sense. We're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ in that he knows the experience of betrayal. But he has also overcome it in his death and in his resurrection. And so we rest in him in his perfect loyalty and love for us. Thanking you that you have given us this Savior who will never leave us or forsake us. We rest in him tonight. Amen.